Thank you so much, worship team. Appreciate what you do each and every week, leading us into um, our continued work worship experience. It's good to see you today. How you doing? Trust you've had a good week. It, it's it's kind of been a weird week, a busy week, but a little weird with the the holiday right in in the middle of uh, middle of the week and. Um, Trust you had a good fourth, a good celebration. Uh, we went over to Lewisbury and saw Angela's folks and had a great time with them and saw some fireworks and um, had a good time together. You know, uh, heard a lot of talk this week on the radio, conversations that I heard um, about America and... Um, didn't hear a whole lot of encouraging things. <laughs> it was uh, it was one of those things where, um, you know, what's going on? You know, on the political scene, what's going on with the economic scene? What's going on in schools? And you know, wildfires raging out of control. And um, it seemed as if from every angle, there was just something that was trying to just, you know, dump this bucket of sadness, uh, or some people would say realism, uh, into our lives. And then on top of it all, Andy Griffith passed away. (laughs) Now, up here, I don't know, I, I, I don't know the culture yet, but down south... I guarantee you there's not a Sunday that goes, that goes in most churches in the South that Andy Griffith isn't referenced. <clears throat> yeah, he passed away. And, and, and I, I love Andy Griffith and uh, just wanted to share something with you because I realized that in the middle of uh, all of this talk this week, you know, everything is wrong and something is going wrong. It reminded me of uh, good old Barney. And Barney always had something that was up his sleeve. All right, come on now. Come on. Come on, just step right in here. Come on now. Now, Emma, I've seen you do it. Now, I've seen you do it, and don't tell me you didn't do it, and don't think you're going to get away with that kind of stuff on my beat. Because when you commit a crime in this town, you pay for it. And I'm the one that sees to it you pay for it, because that's my duty. Uh, but, Brown, I always cross maple in the middle of the block. <laughs> Emma, that's jaywalking. And jaywalking is a general law. You just step right over here. You've got to be booked and fingerprinted. Come on now. Think the Oh, them's modern police methods, for heaven's sake. Now, uh, you're fun there. Barney, uh, what, uh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm booking the prison, Sheriff. Jaywalker. <laughs> well, you know, we don't ever stop Emma. We figure she can save a step or two here and there while she'll just be with us that much longer. Now, you, you just go ahead on home, Emma. Uh-huh. Thank you, Andy. Well, 
Mayberry is going to turn into a regular sin town. People are going to be jaywalking everywhere and ignoring the keep off the grass signs. It's a little bit how I felt this week. It was just like, good night. uh, Everything is falling apart. I, I, I felt that, and you know, a lot hasn't changed, you know, from you know, 60, you know, the 1960s, whenever this was going on. Love the show. Uh, always, you could always trust that something good was going to be taught. Uh, that was one of the great, uh, great TV uh, programs. But, leads me to my thought uh, this morning, Mayberry's just going to turn into a sin town. Have you ever had that referred to, uh, that kind of similar thought referred to our church? If this happens in our church, our church is gone. The, the same thought about our country. If this happens, our country is gone. It's over. And whenever I was going through and thinking about Andy Griffith's passing this week, um, came across this clip. It really came together for me. My thoughts for this week, not that Andy Griffith let, you know, gave me my thoughts, but it kind of crystallized the essence of this alarm bell that may be going off. Maybe you've heard those types of uh, conversations about church or about our country in Mayberry or Lancaster County is just going to turn into a regular sin town. I want you to do something for me this morning, maybe a little bit different. I want to, on your rows, I want you to answer this question. What is the most dangerous thing facing the Christian family today? What is the most dangerous thing facing the Christian family today. Talk about it amongst yourselves. Go ahead. You can do that. It's okay. Look at your, look at your spouse. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. What do you think? Sometimes when we think about the Christian family or we think about the Christian home, we think of it in reference to our church or our city, our town. And sometimes, quite frankly, we can think Mayberry is just going to turn into a sin town. What has happened in the, in the family over the years? Some of you may have come... Well, let me... Let me Raise your hand. What, what, what did you come up with? What's the answer to this? What's the most dangerous thing facing the Christian family today? Somebody, somebody raise your hand, please. Don't everybody jump at once. Yes. Divorce. divorce. Good thought there. Good divorce. Bad, but. Electronics. Electronics, yeah. Somebody else? One more. Indifference. Indifference. Ooh, thank you for seeing my notes. <laughs> sitting, close, sitting close to me. 
some of you may have thought uh, a little bit more philosophically and thought perhaps uh, good old secular humanism. Secular humanism with how it redefines things and um, maybe you thought that um, the internet perhaps, technology, internet with... uh, quite frankly, an epidemic of internet porn and how that has infiltrated Christian homes. And there's quite frankly an epidemic that is that we're facing uh, in the home there. Some of you may say, no, no, no. It's materialism where we are driven to get more and more and more stuff. I could give a nod to that as well. Some of it, uh, some of you may have come up with the thought of, we are so self-absorbed. They're, this generation today is so self-absorbed, and we walk around with, you know, ear earplugs in. Well, I'm guilty of that as well. Um, earplugs ear in, and we're, we're, we're concentrating on us and ourselves, and we're so self-absorbed. That is just killing homes and families today. Maybe some of you would even go a step further and say, no, 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 no. It is this postmodernism that we find our, 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 our society embracing. We're following in the footsteps of, of Europe along with its relativism and, and there's, there's no absolutes whatsoever. And you can take your truth is my, your truth and my truth is my truth and we can, they're all interchangeable. And we could think about those. Well, those, all of those answers, the answers that you came up with all have plausibility. But I would like to propose to you as we begin uh, a new series, uh, series as it is like the Trader series, a once a month kind of deal. Um, talking about the family, I would propose to you that the greatest threat to the Christian family does not come from outside of the walls of this church. If we would define it like that, we're in here, we're Christians, and it's safe in here. I would say that the greatest threat doesn't exist out there. I would say that the greatest threat doesn't even necessarily exist here within the walls of our church. I would propose to you that the greatest threat to the Christian family comes from within the Christian family. And perhaps even from within our own hearts. And so we're going to be talking about this over the next... Not sure how long that's going to go. So I want to ask a question. First of all, what is a family? Not as in um, husband and wife kind of uh, deal. More of what is it that a family is to be? What did God intend for the family to be, to do? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to a, a, a quite, quite a shocking passage of Scripture. I want you to turn to Judges chapter 2. 
If you do not have a Bible, you can locate that, uh, and there should be a Red Pew Bible. If there's a thicker, older-looking Bible, you'll find this in page 233. If there's a newer, thinner, red Bible, you'll find it on page 191. And as we consider what is a family, what did God intend... This is, this is an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture to me. It, it, it blows my mind. A little background here. The children of Israel have escaped Egypt, crossed the wilderness, wandered for 40 years, and they are about to go into the land and take possession of the land, and a new leader is given to them, Joshua, and Joshua leads them into conquest of the land, and they enter into the promised land that was given to them. Joshua then is about to die, and the scripture says this, Beginning with verse uh, 6 of chapter 2. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up. Now pay attention to this. This is this should shake you this morning. After that, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him. And the passage goes on. This is shocking. Shocking not that a generation did not know God. Shocking not that this was the 13th, the 14th, the 15th, or even the 8th generation. Very first generation of children who came into the land and lived permanently in the land of Palestine, in the land that was promised to the first generation. The scripture is very specific. They say they did not even know God. And not just that, they didn't know about the things that God had done for them, for Israel. 
In essence, the first generation that lived in the land were virtual pagans. You should be shaking your head. How in the world? What in the world is going on? How did this happen? What in the world? How could they not know about manna falling from heaven? How could they not know that God met with Moses and on the cloud at Sinai and God took his finger and wrote out on the tablets of stone? How could they not know the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was chasing the Israelites and God parted the Red Sea. How could they not know the very facts of their own country's existence? How could that happen? Well, there's a strong warning that comes to us. And the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that these things have been written to us as examples so that we can learn something, so that we can be stretched by this. And so we begin to, to think about this. What is the lesson that was learned? Was this, a, was this a total failure? We're looking at the book of Judges. Was this a total failure of the judges? Were they not judging rightly? Were they not doing what God had instructed them to do? Perhaps this was a, a, a failure of the priest. Maybe they weren't carrying out their office as they were supposed to do in leading the, the, the worship that the country was supposed to be doing. Was this a failure of some of the prophets? Maybe they weren't meeting with God like they should and speaking forth God's word like they should. And the answer comes back with, with, with a resounding no. And this is harsh. But I believe that the blame here is put directly at the feet of Israelite Moms and dads. Israelite moms and dads. You say, no, why do you say that? Well, because right before the children of Israel were going to go back in to the land of it, right before that, God gathered all of Israel together and Moses proclaimed the second law, the second giving of the law. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, particularly chapter 6, God places in the laps of parents the responsibility for teaching their children the most significant facts of human existence. God places the responsibility with moms and dads. And if we don't get this, if I as a parent do not get this, that the family is God's primary learning community, then I have missed the mark. I haven't gotten it. I have dropped the ball, just as the Israelite men and women, those parents, did. God intends the family to be the primary learning community. 
and the most significant things that we could ever grab a hold of in life that describe the very nature of life, the very nature of human identity are meant to be taught within the walls of the home. They are designed by God to be taught at home. And you may be scratching your head going, man, this guy's kind of tough. You know, they, the, the Israelites, they, they went in and they conquered the land and they were doing battle and they were, you know, trying to, 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 to settle into a, a new country. Yes, they were. And I'm sure the parents were very, very successful at doing that. And the scripture tells us to, the, to a point they, they, they did that. They conquered. They were at war. They were, they were battling. They were busy. They were very, 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 very busy. And boy, we find parallels, so many parallels to the life that you and I live today. Busy, 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 busy with good stuff, stuff that has to be done. And you may be saying, man alive, how in the world can I do this? God intends for the home to be a learning community? Yes. Parents, please know this. Please hear this. You are vital. You are incredibly important to fulfilling the purposes that God intended, not just for your family, not just for the church, but for the world. As you do your job. See, the church can come alongside you and job not to do the job for you, but to equip you to do the job, to help you, to step alongside of you and give you tools and resources and help you do this job, but it's not the church's job to do this. It's not the state's job to do it either. The state's job is to, pr- to protect you while you do your job that God has given to you. And at best, the school is to come alongside and support you while you do your job. You are the most important piece to this, to this struggle that we have, that the family is God's primary learning community. And we must, we must take some lessons from this. If we go back, if we go back just for a second from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and we fast forward to what happened back in Judges chapter 2, there's a huge lesson to learn. It is written for our learning. So what the scriptures say. There's a huge lesson to learn, and that lesson is if we're not enculturating our children in the things of God, then they will be enculturated by their surrounding society. If we not, are not enculturating our children in the things of God, mark it down, they will be encultured by their surrounding society. had the privilege of, for a, a number of years, a little over four years, to work in the admissions office at Lancaster Bible College. 
going through grad school, working there. And in that admissions uh, office, we had this form that everybody had to fill out. Part of the admissions process is that kids had to write down their faith story and answer the question, how did you come to know Christ as your Savior? Answer the question, why do you want to come to a Bible college? On a way, repeatedly, repeatedly. Now, get this. These are kids that are applying, that want to go and follow God, and they are applying to a Bible college because they want to go into ministry. They want to pursue some good kids. You would meet them. They look a little bit different than, than, than I did when I went to school. Thank the Lord. <clears throat> On the outside, they look great. But man alive, I would say a good majority of them really struggled with filling out a small essay and telling a clear, clear salvation experience. I can do that. And so as an admission counselor, it was my responsibility to call up and have a conversation with them and help them try and formulate the most important decision that you can ever make. For some, it worked. For some, it didn't. And it broke my heart. Because, once again, these were kids that wanted to go into ministry for whatever reason, that wanted to go to a Bible college, and they struggled to even formulate words to explain what they believed how they put their faith and trust that Jesus loved them enough to die on the cross for them and that they understood that they were sinners separated from God and that Jesus loved them enough that Jesus came and paid the penalty for that sin that separated them from God. And by simply asking Jesus to come into their life, to make them a different person, putting their faith and trust in the work that Jesus did for them, God would accept them. And they could enter into a relationship. We call that salvation. That's very simplified form. But that couldn't even be expressed by so many that were coming from Churches, youth groups, Christian homes. And as I would enter into conversations with them, I'd scratch my head and go, man, life. So many of these kids that look good, that are nice people. When we get deeper, I would have a, I got to lead a class during their first semester, and we would get around and we would sit around and we would talk about stuff, about life. And I would, I would discover that these, these people that were in a Bible college had exchanged 
the good plan of God and God's designs for the idols of a society that had long since forsaken God. How heartbreaking. And we begin to think about this job in front of us. The natural question is, okay, what do I do? How can I do this? When we learn and we think that the family is God's primary learning community, how in the world can we do this? Well, I would propose to you that on some levels, it's easy. Why is it easy to do this? Because life happens in the family. Life happens in the family, and every day, every day, we must find those moments to instruct our, our children in the ways of God. And what do I mean by life happens every day? Every day, what happens? Does the sun come up? Does the sun come up? Yes. Why does the sun come up? Because God made the sun. Is the sun hot? Why is the sun hot? Because God made the sun hot. God made hot and God made cool. And cool was so nice yesterday, wasn't it? God made trees and God made flowers and God made plants and God made spaghetti. God gave people a brain to, to, to figure this stuff out. And, and life is full of opportunities. And as parents, we must have an educator's mentality. Perhaps not as much as my wife's mother had as she was homeschooling, you know, the poor little missionary kid on, on, on the field, talking about, you know, whenever they'd sit, you know, school would be over, but mom was still teaching because that was her responsibility. And she would sit there and, you know, oh, you have seven peas on your plate left to eat. And God made the peas and they're green and God made green. And if you take seven peas and you eat four of them, how many do you have left? No, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about that God lives and reigns in the little moments that we have with our kids because that is all we have with our kids are these little tiny, tiny moments that are full of opportunity to talk to, to, to our children, to lead them, even our older children. It's important that we talk to, to them about God and express the greatness, the bigness, the wonderfulness of who God is and what he is. And if we are not educating our children in the things of God, someone else is going to educate them. And so that when we're talking about what God has done for them, it's in the little tiny moment by moment things that God comes and He interacts. And as we think of our job as an educator, it's not so that our kids can get good SAT scores. It's not so that our kids can graduate at the top of their class so that they can go and get a good job and marry into a good family and have a successful career. No, no, those things have their place. They're good. But there's something bigger that's at stake here. 
the little moments that we have. The year was 2006. My oldest was 12. My youngest then was nine. And I had just resigned my job. We moved from North Carolina, Pennsylvania. And I had this opportunity. We, we were there for about a year and a half, and it just wasn't right. And I didn't have a conversation with my wife. It's a bad thing. And I resigned from my job, my only job that paid. Coming from a long line of full-time ministry, we didn't have a whole lot of means didn't have a nest egg to fall back on. Barely had a nest. No nest egg, no nothing. And we lived from paycheck to paycheck. And I resigned. A little background to this. For those of you that may not know, my wife um, was a missionary kid, and her family and the dynamic of her family, they enjoy communication. And they communicate quite well and quite often, and sometimes can communicate loudly. Um, I, on the other hand, come from a family... um, where my dad, today, today would be my dad's birthday. My dad, he would have been 89. My dad was older than her grandparents. And a lot of the vigor and vitality and interaction had passed uh, away. So I, I grew up in a different, a little bit in different environment, um, different generation than my, my wife did. So we have this dynamic of communication. And uh, Angela and I got into this discussion uh, in the car a couple of weeks after this. And she was saying a lot of really to me um, about, what's your plan? What are you going to do? How are you going to provide? You're a father. God has taxed you with providing. And if you don't provide for your children, you're worse than an infidel. You know, sharing scripture with me and, you know, good stuff. And um, I have learned over the years, we've been married for 21 years, to adapt my style sometimes to her family style. And um, needless to say, there are times, I know this would never happen in your family, when we have communicated in a way that wasn't exactly pleasing to the Lord. Um, 
And in the middle of the heat of the moment, my 12-year-old son speaks up and he says, Mom and Dad, you need to stop worrying. Jesus told us that he would always take care of us. And worrying is a sin. I immediately sunk a little bit further behind the steering wheel and began to drive. Later that evening, my nine-year-old said to me, Daddy, you weren't talking very nice to Mommy, were you? (laughs) No. That was a moment in the car that God used a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old to pierce my heart to conform me more to the image of Jesus Christ, to teach me some lessons, and to maybe take me just a step further, closer to who I need to be. And if God can use Bryson and Colin at 12 and 9, how much more can he use you and your spouse in the lives of your children? in the mundane moments because that is all we have with our kids. Most of us aren't going to be written up in the history books. Most of us aren't going to do anything super, super, super spectacular that we'll be remembered for. In fact, 40, 50 years after we have passed, people will struggle to remember the details of our life and God must be the God of our mundane. And if God doesn't rule the mundane moments of our lives, he doesn't rule us. And we must learn as parents to capture the mundane, to capture those simple times, those simple moments over and over because 10,000 mundane moments will shape the character of a lifetime. And you and I must not be mistaken and fooled as parents as I have been so many times that this moment doesn't matter. Those little moments matter so much. And grandparents have an opportunity to, with all of your wisdom and experience, to pour into the lives of grandchildren things that your parents, things that you didn't have, that you weren't equipped for as you were learning on that first child and that second child. What an opportunity. And God designed our church family together to come and to be pouring in. And that the family is God's primary learning place. So what am I talking about? First of all, in prim- the primary way that a family should function is, first of all, it should be a theological community. The family should be a theological, primarily, first of all, a theological community. What do I mean by that? Well, theology is the study of God. 
The most important, the, 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 the most ultimate facts of the human existence is the fact of the existence, the character, and the plan of God. And we cannot know, un- know and understand anything if we don't look through that lens. If we're constantly living and, and, and filtering everything through the existence, the character, and the plan of God. We must look through that lens constantly and train our children to look through that lens. John Calvin said it this way, there is no knowing that does not begin with knowing God. And God in his amazing, wonderful knowledge, in his amazing sovereignty, designed it such that even the heavens declare the glory of God. We, stu- we, 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 we talked about that back in our Advent series, that the heavens are screaming, there is a God. They're revealing God every moment by moment. You could go and look at Isaiah chapter 40 about how God describes himself and says, who are you going to compare me to? God is so big and so awesome. We must go to do this. A couple of years ago, we took our boys on a trip to the Bahamas. And we had the opportunity. I snapped this shot either over Bryson's head or Colin's head of this little strip uh, in the Exumas down below the, the, the Bahamas. This is uh, the same spot in Pirates 2 and Pirates 3. Just a, a, a beautiful thing. And at that moment, as we were looking at that and experiencing just the beauty of God's creation, just the wonderful things, uh, we were blown away at how greater God was and that he could create something Like this. I need to go there again. (laughs) Wow. God is everywhere, and the most powerful thing that we can do for our family is to build in it very early a God awareness. A God awareness. Now, very quickly as we finish, why is this important? Why is this important? I want to give you two reasons and then we'll go. First of all, because people are revelation receivers. What I mean by that is that we have this ability to communicate that God gave us so that God can reveal himself to us. We need to be aware of God. Our kids need to be aware of God. They need to attend to God. They need to discover that they cannot live life without God's truth. And paying attention to God is the key to living. This is God's plan. Also, people, your children, are interpreters. Believe it or not, and sometimes I struggle with this, this means that your kids think. That's true. Thank you. Your kids think. What are they doing? They're trying to figure out what life is about. Quite frankly, sometimes I'm trying to, still trying to figure that out. We are 
interpreting things. We could say that we don't live life by the facts, but we live life by the interpretation of the facts. And so we need to equip our kids to live life interpreting facts, making sense out of what things are, filtering it through the existence, the character, and the plan of God. Why? Because the family, first of all, is God's primary learning community. And as we think about that, probably one of the first things that we should do with our families is to think, how great is our God? Really, how great is our God? And we need to learn to communicate to our kids the goodness, the greatness of the God that we loved, the God that's, that gave himself for us, and that gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. It's vital, and this is the foundation that we build our family on, and must be. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And Lord, as we approach this, this subject of the home and family and how important it is, Lord, there, there are so many times when we could get discouraged by what we see going on in families today, even Christian families and we could think, oh, the family's just turning into a sin, sin town. Lord, help us to understand and wrap our minds around the responsibility, the privilege it is for us as, as parents to educate our, child, our children in the things of God. I pray, Lord, that you would equip us to do so. Pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage and strength to do it. Pray, Father, that you would give us opportunities even today to speak into the lives of our kids, even if they're out on their own. And we'll praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.